The date was December 28th, 2017. I was in my office at my parish and I got a call from my mom. She asked me, John, are you doing anything this afternoon and this evening? And I said, remarkably, no, I'm not. And then she hesitated and almost with words of trepidation said, well, Kevin sort of has a girlfriend and she's in town and she and I sort of decided to surprise Kevin for Christmas. Now, as usual with Kevin, he had told me none of the background information with regards to any of that. Great communication, bro. Um, but I decided, okay, yeah, it must be getting pretty serious if this mystery girl is coming into town to surprise Kevin over Christmas. So we had a wonderful afternoon and an evening. We all got to meet Maddie for the first time in St. Louis. She really hit it off with our family. And at the end of the night, I went back to the rectory. I had to go through the kitchen to get up to my room, and one of my other priests was there having a late-night snack, and we got to talking. And he asked me, how was your night? I said, it was a wonderful time. We had great food, great company, and I got to meet my future sister-in-law, too. <laughs> I was confident in that answer, because I know my brother well. I've known him longer than most. I've long known him for 25 years. I can tell you how kind he is, go on at length about how hardworking and smart he is, and about how as a child, occasionally, he could just be downright weird. <laughs> but that night, that night was different. I'd never seen my brother happier, ever. The only thing that compared to it was maybe Easter Sunday morning, after giving up cereal for 40 days, he could finally binge. <laughs> and that brought my brother some, maybe some earthly happiness on those Easter Sunday mornings. But that night, my brother was happier on a deeper level. You know, all of us seek happiness, brothers and sisters, but thankfully, at least for my brother, it's more than that. Especially in these last few years, I've seen how much he desires not just happiness, but holiness. His desires to be a good man and, simply put, to get to heaven. And in getting to know Maddie, it is beautiful to see that his desire is shared by her in equal measure. You each have this desire at the forefront of your hearts and have discerned these past four and a half years that the best way for you to each achieve that objective is to go about doing it together with each other at your side. This is how God is calling both of you to be saints. That person, that person sitting next to you, looking lovingly into your eyes a few seconds ago, is the person that God is giving to you as a gift to help you get to heaven. And brothers and sisters, this is the fruit of the feast that we celebrate today, the ascension of our Lord. Jesus ascending to his Father and leaving us, his disciples, to complete his saving work on earth. And it should instill in us, this feast, a longing for our heavenly homeland to be where he is. It is a mystery literally before our eyes today in this beautiful art, in this beautiful church. It is a mystery before our eyes. And our vocations are how we live out that longing while still on this earth. So Kevin and Maddie, as you enter into marriage today, I have two things to impart to you. Think of it as two pieces of advice from an unmarried but older and wiser brother. <laughs> First, defer to God throughout your marriage. Deference to God is something profoundly lacking in modern life. 
where we seek to chart our own path and determine our own destiny. But a healthy marriage does the opposite. It gives God first priority and brings him into the decision-making process and makes him the focal point of your lives together. You could say there's one problem in marriage today. It's that it is increasingly done on our terms rather than God's. Where it takes place, what the ceremony looks like, the words, the vows, the composition and lived experience of marriage have all combined to make marriage, you could say, less deferential to God and more about us. But deference to God is happening in a very concrete way today. Because we are here in God's house, not yours. It is the Lord's day, not yours. The readings and prayers of this Mass were, for the most part, not yours to select. Today takes place on God's terms, not yours. And it is a beautiful foreshadowing of how your marriage should be. Centered around God, praying together, going to Mass together, entrusting your future to God and to His providence. That is how our lives should be oriented and how marriages should be in particular. Second, your vocation will always compel you to be stretched for God and for those that you love. So I encourage you to embrace it in your marriage. What do I mean by this? I'll give you a little example. In my early years of seminary, one of the priest's formators in the house, the one who was in charge of giving the older men their Sunday assignments, had an interesting philosophy on where to assign a man to a specific place. If you were extroverted, he would send you to the country where there were no people. If you were an older guy, maybe somebody who had been an engineer for a few years, he'd send you to go work with the youth group and vice versa. And he was often questioned, why do you do this? You're not allowing the, the, the gifts and talents of these men to be put to good use. Why do you assign guys to places where they aren't going to thrive? And he would reply, hand motions and all, he would say, well, I want your assignment to be a stretching experience for you, to push you maybe in ways you aren't used to, to go outside of your comfort zone and extend yourself for the people of God. And after a few years of being a priest, I see a great deal of wisdom to that approach. You know, much can be said about why so many marriages might fall apart or not see their way through and what our world needs to do to turn the tide. But if we are to have holy marriages, we need couples willing to be stretched, willing to sacrifice, willing to put themselves aside for the good of their marriage and their family. In short, we need couples willing to die to themselves for the sake of each other, their children, and God. If you want to be a saint, be prepared to be stretched. And love should do that for us. We should want to be stretched for the ones that we love and the ones entrusted to us, because that was the entire experience of Christ on this earth. One continual stretching experience being pushed outside of his comfort zone all the way to the cross. That is how Christ lived all throughout his earthly life. And our lives should be the same as well. And that is where true joy is found in marriage, that daily stretching, that daily sacrificing. It's the love of Christ made real. To take on the life and the experiences of another and to make them your own. It will increase your capacity to give 
and to receive love. And there is nothing more fulfilling than that on planet Earth. So deferring to God and stretching yourselves for each other will help your marriage persevere. And I say persevere because marriage, and your marriage in particular, will not always be easy. In a sense, you each sign a blank check with God today. Because none of us knows where your marriage will lead. None of us can imagine the blessings that God will have in store for you or even the challenges you will have to face in the future. But a love willing to be stretched is a love that embraces all that marriage has to give. And a love that defers to God sees his presence in the joyful and the sorrowful alike. It is a love that seeks to give rather than to get, to serve rather than be served. And thankfully, this is something I've watched and observed in each of you throughout these last four and a half years or so of your relationship. The ways that you have sacrificed for each other in the ordinary and in the profound. Whether it's moving to a new city, leaving a job that you loved in Oklahoma so you could be closer together, accompanying your girlfriend on a mission trip to Mexico, eating seafood when your boyfriend likes to have it, or foregoing the dozen rolls you would usually eat and instead trying salad at your in-laws Thanksgiving. My point being, you've had to do some difficult and subjectively difficult things for the sake of your relationship. Because of this, I have every confidence that you will have a healthy, happy, healthy, and joy-filled marriage. But the thing that maybe has me the most confidence is that the love you are called to live isn't a new thing for you. You've seen this love up close. You've witnessed it firsthand from your parents and grandparents, both living and deceased. You know what it means to be loved unconditionally by God, by your families and friends. You know how to give this love and to receive it too. Kevin and Maddie, you have each been the beneficiaries of some truly incredible marriages. Marriages that have persevered through sickness, weathered the storms of life, stood the test of time, and even been faithful till death. You see now, one great marriage, let alone six or seven in your case, can affect an entire family tree for the better. Now it's your turn. Your turn to embark on the adventure of married life. Your turn to share your vocation with the world. Your turn to model your marriage after Christ and his church. And your turn to build a family rooted in faith and unconditional love. I cannot wait to see what God has in store for you both, how he will bless you, and how he will bless others through your vocation. So we pray for you today, Kevin and Maddie, that your marriage be blessed with happiness, joy, charity, and fidelity, that you love with the heart of Christ and poured himself out for our sake. And pray that your marriage may bear fruit generations from now and be the pathway to holiness and the road to heaven for you both.